The scripture comes from Matthew 21, 1 to 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Thank you, Rob. Before we begin this morning's message, which as you can see is called Facing Forward, it is my tremendous thrill and great privilege to tell you, and some of you won't know the significance of this, but communal communion is back. I know, I know, I know. Could have been a little more enthusiastic, but that just shows you've all forgotten how great it is to do communion at Cornerstone. So when I have finished, Graham is going to explain to us what that is and how it's going to work itself out today. The other thing I thought I'd mention is that I come from the south side of the city. I come from the other side of the river. We know how to read and write. Thank you. We know how to read and write, but, you know, we are from the south side of the city. And, uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and um, anyway, when I was coming by Suncorp Stadium, the whole city shut down because of a major cycle event. Did you know that? You wouldn't know. You do know that. Um, <laughs> that's because you're from the north side of the city, because <laughs> you're bright. Um, anyway, I looked across as I came around Suncorp Stadium, and they're coming up Hale Street with the cyclists and so many, it's not the greatest rise in the world. And so many of them had had to get off their bikes and push their bikes up that little hill. It's not a big hill. And there they were, (laughs) pushing their bikes up the hill. And I thought to myself, a kindly soul should just wind down their window and tell them to take up table tennis. But at least they were facing forward. All right, it's time to get serious. Holy Week begins today. Surely the most dramatic week in history. It's the week where the human story shifted gears. As I've been dwelling on the enormity of this week, the phrase from Romans 8 verse 3 has been reverberating, what the law was powerless to do. The lifting of shame, 
the freedom from the crippling nature of sin. The Lord was the law was powerless to address the choices that destroy our souls, let alone our bodies. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his son. No wonder we sing all hail King Jesus. This week sets Christianity apart from all other religions because it is the week that lifts shame, that breaks the stranglehold of legalism and forced religious regulation. And it gives us an inner settled okayness that defies even what our lives might look like on the outside. And it's all because our precious Lord began this holy week facing forward. How and why could he face forward knowing what was in front of him? We get a little understanding from Hebrews, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. That is a life scripture for every student facing exams, for every medical diagnosis, for every financial hardship and for every relationship challenge. When we are facing a cross in our lives, because of Christ, there is another part of our story yet to unfold. It is the joy set before us. It's total mystery. It's utterly remarkable. The approach and the behavior of Christ during Holy Week can model for us our own approach to the unwanted challenges of life. And so it is very much that we come to Palm Sunday with all hail King Jesus as the banner we raise. So with those introductory thoughts, let's dive in. Three crowd events took place during these intense days of Holy Week. The first were the crowds that gathered for the triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem. The second crowd gathered for the trial of our Lord before Pontius Pilate. The third was the crowd around the cross, except we get the feeling that the crowd had probably thinned out significantly by then. And just for the sake of our little people, I'm going to pop the titles slide back up. I put it to you this morning that we can see ourselves person by person in each of these crowds. So let's set the scene. For 30 relatively quiet years, our Lord was a son, a stepson, a half-brother, a carpenter and a citizen. And then came the day when the clock began to tick loudly. Our Lord was on the move. It was time. For the sake of the plan of redemption, for the restoration of all things, Jesus was facing forward. His workshop felt silent as he laid his tools aside. In the bewildering weeks and months that followed, I wonder how many times Mary entered the workshop, picking up and putting down the chisels and the mallets and the nails, wishing she could hear the reassuring sound of his presence one more time. But he wasn't there. He wasn't coming back. Instead, with compassion, he was reinstating the outcast. He was healing the sick. He was making sure that everyone around him had enough to eat. He was about the plan. For three years, he leaned into every day, every moment, every need. 
He leaned into every aching soul, bringing hope and light and insight, always facing forward. Some villages were now experiencing economic relief. Some families now had healthy mothers and fathers and thriving children. Some lepers were reinstated to family and community. Some good people with genuine spiritual hunger were feeling full for the first time in their lives. And some religious leaders were being shown up as just a noise. But the clock was ticking. Our Lord was on the move. It was time. And for the sake of the plan of redemption and the restoration of all things, Jesus was facing forward. Those three years sped by, and soon the week that would change the story of mankind had begun. From the time of his birth, Jesus was always facing Jerusalem. And so it was that he arrived entering the city on a donkey. It wasn't long before the clopping of of the donkey hooves on the cobbled stones was muffled by the hubbub of the gathering crowd. Word spread quickly. The man who had brought economic redemption, healing, hope and understanding to families and homes and villages, to politicians and to civic and religious leaders was in town. Remembering all that he had done, voices were lifted in gratitude and praise. Palm branches were being waved. Hosannas were being sung. This man, Jesus, was no longer being identified by any earthly status, such as stepson or half-brother, but by words that identified him as beyond the reach of anything earthbound, Hosanna in the highest was the truth that swirled around that day as our Lord humbly rode on a donkey. Eventually, the spectacle was over. People returned home to begin another ordinary week. But not our Lord. His extraordinary week had begun. The clock was ticking. It was time. For you and for me, Jesus was facing forward. As always, he was right on target with the plan of redemption and the restoration of all things. He began to pour into his disciples insight, knowledge, stories, experiences. It was a pressure cooker week for a group of people who knew something was afoot, but not quite what. And finally, through a series of stunningly and dramatically orchestrated events, Jesus found himself stripped of all dignity, standing in forced and required humiliation before a crowd who were no longer singing Hosanna, Instead, those hosannas were being replaced by the sounds of crucify him. Can you imagine the father watching this mockery of a trial from the courts of heaven where only pure justice will ever be served? God the father was bearing witness to this bungled trial. He saw the fickle crowd who had turned on his son. He saw the compromised civic leader who played politics with human lives. And yet knowing that the plan had to go ahead, in my imagination, Father said to himself, I'll make it up to you, son, you'll see. And why do I say that? 
because we read in Philippians 2 verses 10 and 11 that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Those who were shouting crucify him will have a chance to get it right, whether willingly or unwillingly, joyously or through gritted teeth. We all will. When we read in Isaiah 6 verse 1 that his train will fill the temple and that angels will cry, holy, 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 the pageantry just escapes the finite capacity of my imagination. But do we think that Father might be saying, this is my do-over just for you, son? But that is still to come. Instead, we are still in Holy Week. So can we pause here? At the start of this Holy Week, can we put ourselves into each of these two crowds? Can we see ourselves as part of the welcoming crowd? We have heard words of life for as long as we've followed Christ. Many of us have experienced healing, deliverance, guidance, love, compassion and community. We can rightly and easily see ourselves in the welcoming crowd. Sunday by Sunday, in all, in all kinds of ways, we are honouring Hosanna in the highest. We might walk through those doors overwhelmed with disappointment or sorrow or doubt. And those things we can actually have inhabiting us alongside gratitude, contentment and a sense of fulfilment. But come what may, we're still here. We're still honouring the Lord by the discipline of our attendance. It was a very human crowd back then, and we are a very human crowd here today. There is nothing pristine or sanitised about any welcoming crowd, but the welcome is sincere. Every time we welcome the presence of God into our gatherings, it is a sincere welcome. And yet, painfully aware of the realities of our humanity, even then, even then, week by week, we come here as a welcoming crowd. Our hearts might be full with ecstasy some weeks and desperation others, but we're still the welcoming crowd. Yet, like Peter of old, who was so sure he would only ever be in the welcoming crowd, it is unthinkable for us to associate ourselves with the crowd that gathered barely a week later. There were no palm branches, no hosannas in the second crowd. Instead, this crowd now regarded Christ as expendable. How could we possibly put ourselves into that crowd? Well, I put it to you at the start of this holy week that that is exactly what we need to do. And I don't mean that we need to shout crucify him, but it is possible to make Christ expendable. What do I mean? And can I just say before I go any further, this, is, this message is me. Two weeks ago, Christy led us through the Lord's Prayer. Her encouragement was for us to pray it slowly, which I did and did not expect an overwhelming visitation from God as I got to some of those lines. So I've been living in that exercise she took us through and thereby living 
in this message this morning for a couple of weeks. I'm just letting you know that it's feeling very visceral to me. Drifting into spiritual indifference or spiritual stagnation or playing our spiritual life on repeat can actually make Christ expendable. When we experience injustices, betrayals or disappointments, and we forget to bring Christ right into the middle of our pain, what we have done is declare that Jesus Christ is expendable. Any time we call ourselves unworthy, any time we let the thought that we are unworthy take root, we are actually declaring him expendable. Those thoughts will come, but as my mother used to say to me all my life, it's one thing to let the birds of the air fly over your head. It's another thing to let them make a nest in your hair. So we let that thing fly over. Don't be, don't be put down if you think, oh dear, I'm failing here. I think all of these things that she's saying. We too, we're human. This is our story. But what we do is we bring Christ right into the centre of our story. We don't let him stay peripheral. Then, when we hold on to those same injustices, those same betrayals or disappointments as a reason for the slow seeping in of spiritual indifference or stagnation, again, we are declaring Jesus Christ expendable. And I also use the phrase, playing our spiritual life on repeat. In 1999, a man who's passed away but is well known to Christians of a certain era, his name was David Cartledge, and he stood in the pulpit of Garden City Christian Church. And for some reason, he said this. I can't remember the context, but oh, I can remember this. He said, have you had 35 years Christian experience or one year 35 times? And it absolutely, well, you can tell it got me because I remembered it word for word ever since 1999. Psalm 92 verse 10 assures us that we are to be anointed with fresh oil every day. Forgetting that we can tap into the creative genius of God in our everyday life kind of makes Jesus Christ redundant. We don't have to be crying, crucify him to be in this second crowd. Just making Christ expendable will do it. My encouragement is to use this week to dialogue with God about any places where Christ has become a distant figure. And I also want to say this, and again, it's coming out of what's boiling away in my own spirit, which is that a lot of us are really on with God, but it, where, is this, where is the place in us? where we've forgotten to bring him in. <coughs> it doesn't have to be a wholesale repudiation of him. It can just be in that area, he's expendable. If possible, be part of Maundy Thursday gathering and then the Good Friday service because each of those gatherings is going to provide a very kindly backdrop to anything that we are to navigate with God during this holy week. These aren't easy times, but they help us face forward, strengthened and resilient. All of that brings us to the final crowd. And for sure, 
we are to be part of this crowd. This morning, we gather at the cross. From last Easter until now, a lot has happened in our lives. And if we went round the room, there would be stories. There'd be a story in most of the seats sitting here. Most of the people here would have a story. Um, it's been a very confronting 12 months for so many in our congregation. Yet the invitation still is to face forward. Next Sunday, we will be dancing at the mouth of the empty tomb. And we'll look a lot more like the welcoming crowd. But this morning, this is our moment to be part of the crowd at the cross. With gratitude, through pain, in confusion or doubt, the invitation is to embrace the cross and all that it represents. This morning... The welcoming crowd is already evident, is already evident by the palm branches at the foot of the cross. And if there is any sense in which in our hearts we have held a trial on God and now regard him as expendable, this cross provides a place of recognition and repentance. And for sure, even in the crush of the crowd, if after you've received communion, you'd like to partake of that communion, actually standing near the cross, please feel free to do so. And finally, we join the crowd at the cross every time we partake of communion, remembering the death of our Lord. Whichever communion option you choose, the invitation is to pause and consider your place in the three crowds. We have allowed a lot of time for communion. It's go, Graham's going to explain it to us. Um, but even beyond that, there is time for you to be able to process what this Holy Week can mean for you. And I encourage you, if I can encourage you with this, like I was thinking this morning, um, like I gave my heart to the Lord so specifically as a seven-year-old, Harvey Bay in a caravan. I remember it. But that was 64 years ago. And I asked myself, how many years of those have I just done on repeat? And I don't say that with any sense of condemnation. Please hear that. That's not the God we have. He never comes and bashes us over the head because we missed a day, you know? That's not the goodness of God. That's not the mercy of God. That's not the God we serve. But for us on this side, in our humanity, sometimes it's good to stir ourselves up, say, this Holy Week, is there somewhere where I'm drifting? Is there somewhere I'm just doing my faith on repeat? The creative genius of God is available to every one of us to renew us, to refresh us, to give us insights in all kinds of areas of life that we've not had before, including our own intimate walk with Him.